0: Please take your Bible and turn with me to our sermon text for this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you will be helped if you will get a copy of God's Word. If you didn't bring your own, that's okay, we provided one there at, the, uh, at, the, at your feet, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I'd like for you to look at this, we've said a number of times that Paul... Divides this letter to the church at Corinth with a simple little phrase, now concerning, because he's referencing a letter that they wrote to him and he is responding. Notice at the beginning of chapter 8 that we have come up on a new issue. Do you see? It says now concerning and it gives us the next issue that Paul is going to deal with now concerning food offered to idols. Food offered to idols. Now if you've been around church very long, you probably heard about this issue. If you haven't been around church very long, you're probably thinking, this is weird. This worship service was going so well, and now we're going to talk about something very weird. Food offered to idols. Well, in the city of Corinth, in A.D. 54-56, just like much of the Greco-Roman world, Corinth was full of idolatry. Corinth had temples to many gods. And sacrifices were made in those temples and then that meat was sold at market. Now, the meat was not good or bad, right or wrong, in and of itself. It was just meat. But it was offered to idols. And so, while today we don't deal much with meat that's been offered to idols, certainly other countries do, but we typically don't here in America, we do deal with other issues that are not right or wrong in and of themselves. And that is one of the major applications of this text, is we deal with stuff that's not right or wrong, inerrantly, in and of itself. And Christians disagree with whether they should be involved in that activity or not, just like here in Corinth. It seems that some Christians thought that they should and could eat the meat offered to idols, and some did not. And so what we do with this text is we often apply it. From everything from uh, drinking alcohol to smoking a cigar to having a tattoo or playing poker. Things that Christians disagree about, whether it's right or wrong to do. And, uh, you know, going trick-or-treating or or going to concerts or everything from there to what we're allowed to do on Sundays. One of the reasons that Christians argue or slash disagree about these things... Is because they're not explicit in Scripture. So, how many of you have have been around this issue of meat or food offered to idols? You've heard about this before. Raise your hands. I've heard about this. All right. Very good. So, let's just do a little exercise. Don't say this out loud. But what was Paul's basic answer to this issue? Should the Corinthian Christians eat food offered to idols or not? Don't say it out loud, but just go ahead and decide in your mind. What's Paul's basic answer to this issue? So the common view of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, just in a nutshell, is this. The Christians at Corinth... Just like the Christians in Rome, who Paul addressed in Romans chapter 14 and 15, the Christians at Corinth were arguing among themselves about whether they should eat this meat or not. And the strong Christians said, it's just meat. It's okay to eat it. And the weak Christians said, no, it was offered to idols. It's not okay to eat it. And just like in Romans chapter 14 and 15, the common view of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is that Paul sides with the strong, and he says, you're right. Idols are nothing. It's just meat. Eat it. But since there are some weak Christians, then you should take them into consideration and don't eat meat if they don't want you to. Don't eat meat around them. You should should love your brother more than your belly. But you're the strong Christians. You've got this right. There's nothing wrong with it. They'll kind of come to the understanding someday. Well, I don't know if that's your basic understanding or not, but that was mine. And I came to this text this week, and I thought, all right, I know where this is going, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Food offered to idols, idols are nothing, it's just meat, we can eat it. I was wrong. And maybe you are too. There are many similarities between 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans chapter 14 and 15. Lots of similarities. But it's not the same issue. We don't have time to go into Romans chapter 14 and 15, but I would encourage you to read it later today. It's not the same issue at all, and it makes a world of difference, the outcome. Now, here's one big similarity. They're both about food. In Romans chapter 14 and 15, it's about Jewish food laws, and there the strong people can eat all kinds of foods, and the weak people can only eat vegetables. But in 1 Corinthians, it's not about all kinds of food. It's specifically about food that was offered to idols. Romans 14 and 15 is not about food that was offered to idols. It's very important. Both of these texts, Romans 14 and 15 and 1 Corinthians, they both talk about a weaker brother. In Romans, Paul speaks about a stronger and a weaker brother. And the issue between the two, he says, is one is stronger in faith and weaker in faith. This, again, is where there's a huge difference between Romans and first corinthians in first corinthians paul identifies those who are weak but not at weak in faith they're weak in their conscience and paul never underline it never calls anyone strong in fact he clearly refutes everything that the christians who you might think in this particular text, are strong, he clearly refutes their attitude and their position. Paul actually aligns himself with the weak in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is not an island unto itself. In fact, Paul takes three chapters to deal with this issue. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, and then one of those unhelpful chapter divisions that actually goes into chapter 11, verse 1. He takes three chapters to deal with this issue. And the issue is not primarily food. The issue is primarily about idolatry. This is about food offered to idols, whereas in Romans 14 and 15, it's about food. Please look at your copy of God's word. Let me show you. There's three scenarios that Paul is dealing with here. Look at chapter 8, verse 10. Well, we see, first of all, in verse 1 and in verse 4, that we're dealing with food offered to idols. You see that, right? But then look, interestingly, in chapter 8, verse 10, they're eating in an idol's temple. Oh, eating in an idol's temple. Look at chapter 10, verse 25, scenario number 2 Ten twenty-five. whatever is sold in the meat market. So the idle food is being sold in the meat market. Scenario number three, verse 27, chapter 10, verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, and then there's actually two separate scenarios there, they announce that it's idle food or they say nothing about it. And Paul gives different instructions based on what you're supposed to do in that case. So Paul is addressing three issues here. Eating in an idol's temple, eating food that came from idol sacrifice that's sold in the market, or going over to your neighbor's house for a uh, cookout and they announced to everybody, this is meat that's been offered to Zeus or Diana or whoever, And, and, or just going over to your neighbor's house and you got no idea where this meat came from. First Corinthians 8 through 10 is not primarily or merely about food, it's about idolatry. Corinth was full of temples to gods, and those temples hosted celebrations, major celebrations for their gods, and they invited the community to come. It would be like our our Apple Blossom Festival, they, the local temple would have a major event with all kinds of things for, the, for families, and they would invite the community to come. And the question here is not just merely about the meat at the market, but should I go to that event? It's Zeus's birthday. Should I go celebrate at that event? People would honor uh, the gods by inviting them, uh, their neighbors, into their home. Maybe like you might have a Christmas open house. The Ismithian Games involved pagan worship and festivals. And when the Olympics, quote unquote, the Ismithian Games came to town, should the Christians be involved in the pagan practices that were going on in those games. If you were of any kind of stature, if you held any kind of political office, if you had if you were the head of a business, there were there were major partnerships, guilds that were built around the gods. Should Christians be involved in those guilds? One historian notes AD 54 time period of of this writing, AD 54, to mark the ascension of the emperor Nero, a cult of the emperors was instituted at Corinth, including an annual imperial festival. We could hear the Corinthian Christians all agreeing. He's not not a god. They're just idols. We can go to these things. It's not merely about eating meat. It's about participating in idolatry. And Paul was not neutral on this issue. He's arguing against their attitude and their freedoms. These wise and knowledgeable Corinthians felt strongly about their freedom and operated accordingly. And Paul is def- is uh, wrote to give another perspective. And so Paul actually argues against their position. And this was what was most profound to me. Because I always thought that he was basically neutral on the issue. And this week... I realize that chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, Paul presents five considerations why those Christians should restrain their freedom. Paul wasn't neutral Because the apostles had already spoken to this issue. Do you know that? Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Before Paul ever went to Corinth, he was part of what is often called the Jerusalem Council. In Acts chapter 15. Jerusalem, the the authorities, the the apostles gathered in Jerusalem, and they were debating how they should handle the new Jew. Uh, the pardon me, the new Gentile converts to Christianity, people like Corinthians, Galatians, those who lived in Ephesus and Philippi and Antioch. They're different than Jews. Should they become Jews? Should they be circumcised? Should they take on the Mosaic law? Or, Or how do we navigate this? Look at chapter 15 in Acts verse 2. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Look at verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this this matter. And look at verse 7. There was much debate. Peter speaks. Paul speaks. Verse 13. After they all finished speaking, the big dog replies, James... Brothers, listen to me. Verse 19, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them, could you please read the next line with me? Verse 20, should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. If you read the rest of it, which we're not going to do here today, it was codified into a letter, and then that letter was sent out with the various teams who went all over the place, including uh, Paul and Barnabas. They took the letter. The Jerusalem Council had already spoken on this issue, idol worship was so prevalent in the culture the gentiles were coming to christ out of formal idolatry and the apostles speak abstain from things polluted by idols paul takes one of these letters out he refers to it in acts chapter 21 you can read it later look at it acts 21 he refers to that letter and then lest we think it was only the apostles who were making sort of an arbitrary decision here. Jesus speaks to this issue in Revelation chapter 2 twice. Look at it, Revelation chapter 2. The famous seven churches where Jesus speaks and, and, and talks about the things that he's pleased and specifically the judgment against them. Verse 12, to the angel of the church at Pergamum. Right. So to the church at Pergamum, Jesus says this, verse 14, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Verse 16, repent. Look at verse 18. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write. Verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and what? To eat food sacrificed to idols. This is no small issue merely about buying Hamburg or beef in the market. This is about those who used to be pagan worshipers continuing pagan practices and not being distinctly Christian in an idolatrous world. So rather than just thinking about alcohol or cigars or tattoos or whether we allow our kids to trick-or-treat or not, let's ramp this up a little bit, and let's imagine a scenario for us, say, something like, my daughter's getting married. The most beautiful venue in town, the most beautiful place where all of the cool kids get married is the local Catholic church. Should I have my daughter's wedding... At a Catholic church? Maybe your work sponsors a weekend getaway for, for you and your spouse and, and all of the other couples at, 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 your, at your work. And there, it's a, a great expense and a, and a great reward for hard labor. And during that weekend, you're, you're, you're taken to a spa. And it's not just a massage for two It's a spa that involves Hindu or Buddhist meditation ceremonies. Maybe there's a community barbecue in your neighborhood sponsored by pride. Do you see how you can take an issue that may not be right or wrong in and of itself, a massage or a wedding venue or a community barbecue, but when you add in the the clear association with a false religion then it changes it and makes it much more of a significant black and white objective issue so yes there are so many things that Christians disagree about. There are so many gray areas. There are so many things that are not inherently right or wrong that you and I have to dis- make discernment. And this text applies, but let's not miss the major point. God, through his apostles and through the Lord Jesus Christ, has already spoken to this issue. Do not eat food sacrificed to idols. And so Paul deals with the church. He gives them five considerations that restrict Christian freedom. That is totally different. You have to understand how many hours of study that it took me to come up with that one little phrase. Five considerations, and I'm not asking you to pity me this is really helpful to my soul i want to get this right because before i thought paul was coming in neutral he was going to give some guidelines to how to make decisions on gray areas brothers and sisters No, he's trying to say you think you're free don't be that free (laughs) you're not that free it's not okay restrict your freedom on an issue that you're right you're right. Idols, they're nothing. It's just meat. But this is a bigger issue than that. Five considerations that restrict Christian freedom, or let me give you a couple of subtitles. Why something that's not inherently wrong might not be right for you. Or another subtitle, five things that are more important than your freedom. Most of the rest of this sermon is going to be showing you those five points. I want you to see the big picture. But this is three chapters worth of stuff. I'm not going to gloss over three chapters worth of stuff. So we're actually going to have five sermons on this issue. Today is point number one. I'm going to give you the overview, and then we're going to deal with point number one. And I'm going to do it very briefly because it's the easiest one of them all. But then the next four weeks, we're going to pick up the next four points because they are loaded with God-glorifying theology, gospel-saturated truth, and really practical help for every one of us as we live a Christian life clearly associated with Jesus in a very pagan world. Paul's point, chapter 8 through 10 Five considerations that restrict Christian freedom. Number one, chapter 8, verse 1 through 13. Consider your weaker brothers. Consider your weaker brothers. Here's the key text. Look at verse 9 and verse 13. Verse 9. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Does Paul sound neutral on that? No, not neutral. Restrict your freedom. Why? For the sake of your weaker brother. His point is love your brother more than your freedom. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. Consideration number two, all of chapter nine, all of chapter nine, verse one through 27, he says, consider gospel ministry. And he gives personal example after personal example of how he does personally what he's asking the church to do. What's he asking them to do? Lay aside your freedoms for gospel ministry. Paul's not neutral on this. He's not like, ah, it's no big deal. He says, lay aside what you consider to be a right for the opportunity to minister the gospel. The, the, key, the key verse here, if you just want to circle it, is verse 22 and 23 in chapter 9. And he says this, I have become all things To all people, so that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that they may share, pardon me, that I may share with them in its blessings. Consider gospel ministry. Lay aside your freedom for gospel ministry, Christian. The third consideration that restricts Christian freedom. Number three, consider temptations to sin. He begins chapter 10 with something that I never understood before. I really sat down and studied this this week. He takes Corinth by the hand, and he says, let's flip back through the photo album of the Old Testament. And let's see what happened when our forefathers, the Israelites, bumped up against, Israel, uh, bumped up against idolatry. Let's see what happened when they came in contact with idolatry. And, and the point is here, you think you stand. You think you're wise. You think that you are secure in your spirituality. Well, verse 12 is the key. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, what? Take heed lest he falls, because that's what we see Israel doing. Falling, 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 falling. You can't handle your temptations, friends. Consider the temptations to sin. Be careful, be careful that your freedom doesn't lead you to sin. Consideration number four. In the middle of chapter 10, he says, consider religious associations. Remember, this is not just about food, but this is about eating at the temples in the area or going over to your neighbor's house or a community barbecue maybe being given on on behalf of one of the... And so we have this beautiful... uh, verse, Verse 14 through 22 is this beautiful image and description of the Lord's Supper. But Paul is only talking about that to say this. Just like we have the Lord's Supper, they have their covenant meals too. You know what you're doing when you go to the temple? You're participating in their Lord's Supper. You can't do that. (laughs) Stop. He's not neutral. So look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, do what? What's the next three words? Verse 14. Flee from idolatry. Why? Verse 20. I imply that pagan sacrifice... Pardon me. I imply that what pagan sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. The word of God blew up my theology this week. It changed my perspective. I learned a lot this week. I'd encourage you to read these 3 chapters more carefully than you ever have before. With fresh eyes, let the Word of God say what the Word of God says. The fifth consideration that restricts Christian freedom is the one that most of us go to to say, it's okay, it's just meat." At the end of chapter 10, verse 23 through 11, Paul says, consider the circumstances. And he here tells them there are times when eating meat offered to idols would not be wrong. You know when those two times are? When you got no clue you're eating meat offered to idols. It's not labeled, and your neighbor doesn't announce it. But clearly, if you read the last part there 10:23 through 111, 1, he says, if your neighbor announces it, don't eat it. If you look down there and you see on sale meat offered idols, don't do it. Why? consider the circumstances because verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Just like you should love your brothers, love gospel ministry, you should love your holiness, and you should love your exclusive loyalties to the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to love the glory of God more than your freedom. Govern your freedom by the good of others and the glory of God. That's an overview of three chapters, and that is awesome. I, I hope that you will go and study, but I hope you also come back for the four sermons that we go through these, not next week, because that's gonna be the resurrection theme. I didn't figure we wanted to do food offered idols on resurrection Sunday when okay. There you go. Can I just go back and deal with point number one now just for a few minutes? Point number one, we come to our text. And in point number one of of Paul's five considerations, five things you should consider, he begins by setting up the issue. So let's read verse one through three. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Circle the word knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God we can see that Paul is contrasting knowledge and love. And Paul is talking about what you think you know. Remember, Corinth thought they had knowledge and wisdom. Paul is saying, you think you have knowledge about this issue, but your knowledge is ignorance because your knowledge doesn't result In love. Knowledge is never an end in itself. Knowledge always is to be used to love God and love others. The Corinthians claim to possess knowledge, but this knowledge only puffs them up. The truth is the Corinthians only think, they only imagine that they have this knowledge. But what they really have is ignorance, and that's proven because they don't love. Listen, friends, it's not what we know that's most important. It's that we love. Those who pursue and use knowledge for self-centered purposes are puffed up in pride. They use their knowledge to build themselves up. But those who love God, Prove that they belong to God by loving others, and they use their knowledge to what? Build others up. (coughs) May we, Bible-studying, theology-loving Christians, take note of this. Because we want to get all the good theology and all the knowledge that we can possibly get. But does it actually result in us loving our brothers and sisters more? Does it actually result in us loving our neighbors or despising them? Do we use the knowledge that we have to build others up or beat them down? Then in verse 4 through 7, Paul does talk about what we know, all right? You think you know. Here's here's what we know. We do know this. Verse 4 through 7. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, As indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You want to talk about what we know? Here's what we know. Here's what we know about idols. They're nothing. You're right. They're nothing. Here's what we know about God. There's only one God and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom everything exists, and for whom everything exists. And all Christians, all God's people said, amen. We know that. But here's what we also know about our brothers. Not everybody knows that. Some people used to be idol worshipers, and they can't go back to Zeus's temple and feel comfortable like you can. They're just going back to have communion again. They can't eat that meat like you think you can, like you have the right to, like you have the freedom to because of your knowledge. You know idols are nothing. It's just meat. Eat the meat. So what we understand is there are some of our brothers and sisters who used to be associated with those things so strongly that it is a conscience issue for them they would be going against their conscience to eat that or go there. Do not ever violate your conscience, brothers and sisters, and do not ever cause somebody else to violate their conscience. And so he says, you take what we know and then let's add to it love. Verse 9 through 13, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a what? Stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. And thus, I can't emphasize the strength of these words strong enough. And thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, bottom line, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. John Calvin, he said about this particular section, you have a correct judgment in the sight of God. (laughs) And if you were alone in the world, it would be as lawful for you to eat of the things offered to idols as of any other kinds of food. But, Consider your brothers. You have knowledge, they're ignorant. Your actions ought to be regulated not merely according to your knowledge, but also according to their ignorance. But, friends, that's not how most of us want to operate. We just want to do what we think is right. And this is silly. Love your brother. More than your freedom. Where do we get such a self denying love, self sacrificial love? All we have to do is look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you love the cross? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the sacrifice that Christ made to save your soul? Do you love that Jesus loves you? then love others the same way. God's love for us compels us not just to love others, but finish the sentence. To love others what? More than ourselves. More than ourselves. Jesus said, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. And greater man, pardon me, greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. I love the next phrase. You are my friend. Paul's not neutral on this issue. Yes, there's gray areas. But Paul is coming from the cross and saying, God's love for you compels you to love your brother more than your freedom. More than your freedom. And so, for the vast majority of three chapters, he says, restrain, restrain, restrain your freedom. And then he gives a few areas over here where it would be entirely appropriate to exercise your freedom. But but what I learned this past week is opposite of how I live so often. and That is, I've come into new knowledge I used to have really lousy theology. I was taught a bunch of rules by people who, I don't know, I guess they had good hearts, but they had terrible theology. And they told me all these rules. And now that I have this freedom, I'm going to exercise my freedom. No, friends. I'd love my brothers and sisters more than my freedom. Why? That's how Jesus loves me and you. And that's the gospel. We've got a lot more to talk about this. We're going to take four weeks to do it. But may we go out saturated in the love of Christ and determined to love others in the same way. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your love for us. We do not deserve it. It is by your grace that you have called us out of the darkness and into light. We're all idol worshipers. We worship the idolatry of self. And you have crushed those idols in our heart and you have shown yourself to be the one true and living God. And I pray that you would cause us to love the way you love. And I pray that you would shine through us in such a way that people would see our exclusive loyalty and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.